Movie victory. Welcome to. Oh. What are you? Welcome can to you, Movie Victory. Can we, can the we do, stop. Snapchat, the only scientific movie podcast. No, well, fuck that. Can this we is get your this host, right one time. David Victory. David. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. What are you playing? I thought we. The, I thought we were, the music from the movie. Can, yeah, can we get this we right have a one very time. specific policy one to time. never introduce the show with the music from the movies that we do. I told you that. That's I not true. You, We've done I told it. You that day one, I said never will We've we do that. We've done it half a dozen well, times. Well, slipped those through, but I've can I we tried get this right this time to st- one time. stop you from doing that. I feel like it's just it's <coughs> inappropriate and it's insulting to the movie makers. <coughs> They ex- You're making me sick. They expect that music in the movie, not just out and about. It's only, you need to walk, be watching the, mu- the movie to actually appreciate that music. It doesn't exist outside the movie. All right. Yes, it does. It's All the right. Jazz Suite by Shostakovich. It existed way before the movie existed. What are you even playing? Totally, totally appropriate song about not getting tired, which comes down to what this movie's about. Yes, this is Movie Victory, and I'm your host, David Victory, the only scientific movie podcast. Um, with me, as always, the guest ho- host of the show, um, Huey... Huey Pegg. Huey, Huey Pegg. Um, Huey, where, where are you calling from today? Uh, um, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, you can see you can see the background on on the video call. Yeah, it. it looks like I see some cages behind you. I see. Yeah, I'm at the border. What do you want? All right. I am, I'm in an undisclosed location. Men with mustaches. To... I can't really. I don't know a lot about that. Um, well, s- they're gonna stay quiet. They've already agreed. I'm in charge here. So uh, okay. Well, it's impressive. They're gonna. Um, but yeah, we're talking about a huge film, um, and the amount of film that was used to make it, that is, um, Eyes Wide Shut, and, uh, the 19... Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut, the 1999 film, um, last film of, of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, it's a movie, for sure. So, I guess we should start talking about... How much film was used to make the movie? So, how many shots do you think were were used for each of these shots? We should really God, we should focus on that right away. <laughs> we're starting with trivia. Um, I don't know. I know it took them like three years. They filmed for three years, right? Uh, it's like I think four hundred days of shooting, something like that. I don't know the years, but it's. Uh, but over the course of yeah, a long a long time. I'm pretty sure that. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman went and did other stuff and then would come back to do more Eyes Wide Shut. Not for the most part. Like, if you watch on the featurette, you can see Tom Cruise. And I love the the featurette with Tom Cruise because a lot of people will be like, Tom Cruise didn't want to do this. You know, they feel bad for Tom Cruise and they, like, complain about the film. But you watch the featurette and it actually made me have a lot more respect for Tom Cruise because he was he's just like... Um, yeah, I love Stanley Kubrick. I've always wanted to do a movie with him. 2001 is what made me want to do movies. And I just told Stanley, however long you need me, 
you know, I'm going to be there. D don't worry about mm -hmm. it. He's just like, he's, he's like, I have a production company, so I need to know. And he wouldn't tell him. But, you know, Tom Cruise d basically stayed put. I'm sure he had to do some flying back and forth eventually for some things. But he was 100% dedicated to this film. Um, no mm -hmm. questions asked. Did everything Kubrick asked him to do. And um, really liked getting to know Kubrick from all accounts and was just loved just being in his presence and being able to you know observe the master at work um, I don't know I guess I've always been curious did he feel that way after all the reaction and backlash I mean if you just really love working with a great director I imagine you would but I don't know I, a lot of times that featurette stuff is made before the movie gets released so I don't know mm -hmm. Uh, well, to answer your question, I don't know how much film was shot, although I'm, I'm assuming quite a lot, given his uh, penchant for many, 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 many takes. Like, I know, for instance, that the, the couple's arguing scene, the crux of the film that sort of starts the whole snowball of the movie, uh, they filmed that for like a week or something, or more than that. Yeah, in that room are doing that scene for many days in a row. I think he did most shots like 95 times is about the average that I've heard, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, so yeah, about a week for probably you could say for most scenes would be about normal. Yeah. It's amazing to do that many takes and then for it still to be so like fluidly cut together. Well, we don't know. I, what was used. Yeah, we don't know. Was, I mean, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't assume that he's using necessarily all the, the last takes. I mean... Oh, no, I, don't, I wouldn't suggest that. I'm saying, like, <laughs> it's so fluid despite the fact that he might be going from take 35 oh, to 87 okay. to take 2. I see what you're saying. Like, the actors and actresses, would they forget yeah. the momentum? But, yeah, I mean, most... I would, I would, I guess I would, I would say that most actors and actors, they're or just actors, I'll just say, are used to having to do that. Most films are shot out of order, and Clint Eastwood is the other side, which Clint Eastwood apparently does a lot of first, first takes, second takes. Um, I don't know if you knew that about him, but yeah, his philosophy—that's that's where the best stuff is at. Mm -hmm. Completely opposite of Kubrick. I mean, both have made great films, obviously. <laughs> Clint Eastwood has made a lot more movies, but definitely not a lot more great movies. Yeah. So, whoever's method uh, works the best. Anyway. But yeah, a lot of, who knows even where to start with this film. You felt overwhelmed, I felt overwhelmed. I, I definitely didn't realize how long it was because I swear every time I've watched this movie, it just flies by. Like, I'm never thinking about, yeah. oh, what, yeah, it just goes by so quickly. So I've never, and it's then almost I- Almost three hours. Yeah, right? I realized- and we're, we both, I'm sure, watch the uncensored version, which I think is almost like 15 minutes longer or something. It's, it's a little mm -hmm. bit. It's uh, like two hours and 40 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's 2.48, I think, was the runtime around that. Um, but then there was, there was like five minutes of credits, so around 2.40. But yeah, I did not realize this film was so long. I had an incredibly busy week this week. I'm back at work full time. Um, I was getting home about four o'clock and then I have to pick up my daughter at 4.30 where my day is really over. So I did not have a lot of time to watch this. I think on Thursday I was finally like, I have to watch some of it. Watch some Thursday, watch more Friday, finish the film 
this morning, like at four in the morning, I watched like the last wow. 50 minutes. Um, and then on my run, I listened to about three hours of other podcasts talking about this film. Um, so I'm fully, fully vested in the conversations that people have about this movie at this point. Sure. And have been, but it's almost, I could have probably talked about it without even rewatching it. I know this film that, yeah, way, that, that well. So it was like, even when I was rewatching, I was just like, oh, I love this scene. I love this scene. But it was just at the same time, it's like, I know all the beats and yeah still but you uh pay attention to other things which i'm sure you did in this watch mm -hmm. too you're just like oh you know you the different mask always fascinate me i love how scary the masks are even though they don't move and like the placement of who's looking at who and uh, the scenes with the mask is uh, it was something i was definitely right. paying attention to a lot also your mind kind of wanders to what books are they reading and what scenes and what uh, pictures are up on the walls. Uh, a lot of people have gone out of their way to argue all kinds of ridiculous things about really every Kubrick film um, piecing together that kind of stuff. And it definitely seems, everything seems to have a reason. I don't, I don't know if I would agree with the kind of conspiracies that people talk about, but um, everything in every frame, I think, definitely has a reason to be there. It's certainly meticulous, yeah. yeah. I watched it last night. I have seen the movie. I've lost count how many times I've seen it. It's always like a world to go into. I actually had to like take a break after the centerpiece of the film, the orgy, the, the masked ball. And after that scene, I like paused it, like, had a cigarette, like, took, like, a power nap, and then 20 minutes later, like, kind of got up and finished the film, because I was so overwhelmed, despite having seen it already, and I, re I remembered that I had a friend or a roommate some years ago, and I was watching it, and they heard the music in the other room, and they texted me, like, are you watching Eyes Wide Shut? And I was like, you know, LOL, yes, or whatever, and they told me the next day, they were like, you know what, I have seen that movie, you know, four or five times, and I've never finished it. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, every time I watched it, I was either I was either with someone and we started talking about it, or I was with someone and we started, like, making love, or, you know, I was drunk and I became too intoxicated by the end of it. And they were like, I've literally always, they were like, I've never seen the movie past the orgy, past the masked ball. And I was like, that's half the movie. And they were like, Every time I watch it, once he is told to leave the ball, I feel like I've already watched a whole movie. And so I'll never forget that, that, that I know one person, at least, who has never finished Eyes Wide Shut, claims to love the film, but has never watched the second half, because they feel so overwhelmed by the time that they get out of the masked ball, that they're like, that's enough movie for me. Isn't that odd? Yeah, that, that you should punch that person in the face immediately just like what is wrong with you <laughs> yeah well, i like that their excuse was also like well one time i was too intoxicated another time i started having sex and another time i uh we got into a conversation and then we stopped paying attention to the second half i do not so every time they just had a different reason for not paying for not attention finishing. it is kind of yeah, yeah i don't know about like if this movie like turned you on at that point i i don't know what to say about that um I mean, not. That oh no! I think that has more to do with okay, who they were okay. watching with of than this the movie itself. It's, it's yeah. It's not that scene which uh, we could just. I guess we could just get it out of the way. It's like yeah, the orgy scene. 
people talk about and it was a lot of hype when the film came out and I'm sure when I wa when I watched it I'm sure when you watched it it always just kind of seems like this is what it's people sterile yeah this is and then and then you're like oh that's the point you know that's kind of what mm -hmm. we're what we're looking at um, it, I mean Kubrick's not known for his like sensuality he's a pretty sterile dude but the whole so I'm not surprised that his sex scene is like a bunch of people very stoic like watching somebody on the couch wearing masks you know well I think that that's what he wanted for the I mean I think if he wanted to do something central we would have seen something different I don't think that's yeah I don't think that's what that film that sequence is really about um, yeah I mean especially if you look at the lighting of all the women I definitely was looking at that where I was just like these women are gorgeous and yet why don't they look very attractive and it's like oh yeah the lighting from top down doesn't doesn't do them any mm -hmm. favors and then the way the masks are used which is kind of scary I honestly was sitting there thinking I don't know why I'm starting this but I'm like would I ever really be interested in, in sleeping with someone with a mask like that I was like I don't think so I would probably take the mask off I don't that does not do it for me I, I, yeah, yeah I mean same yeah but one of the one of the moments in the ball because like you said it of course, that's not what he's going for, but it's also like you said. You know, I don't. I don't give a shit about the hype or the bad reception that when it came out or whatever. Yeah, who, uh, who cares? Plenty of plenty of really really good movies are totally misunderstood when they come out, and then accrue po positive <laughs> views uh, with with age. People did like um, it when it came out too. A lot of people. I I really there was a like a chart. There was a interview. It was like an hour special, like an old news show. I almost want to look it up, but I was like googling. I was trying to find the featurettes on YouTube so I could watch them while I was doing something else. And it was a old interview from 1999 with different uh, reviewers talking about Eyes Wide Shut. And I was just. I was just like really, yeah. really. It was maybe Charlie Rose. I think it might have been Charlie Rose. Huh. And I, and one of the the first reviewers that talked about it thought it was amazing. And that's like just when it came out. I guess. Yeah. I guess they were doing um, a special. I'm sure there was a lot of mixed. Yeah, it was reactions. definitely it was definitely mixed, and a lot of that blame has to go to the marketing, um, which mm -hmm. you can't really blame them because the movie had to make money, and it did it did end up making money. It's uh, sex sells and all that. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say was like. Uh, you were talking about the masks, and I was going to say, like, it, it is sort of, despite being at an orgy, uh, it is, like, sort of stripped of its sexuality in some way, where one of the more, I don't want to say totally disturbing, but one of the more curious images in the film is there's two people, both wearing masks, pretending to kiss like making out these two masks are kissing which is a very strange and like and I think to me that's like one of the like a key metaphor for the whole orgy is like how separate these people are from each other like they're completely divided despite the women being naked and you know, all the men are clothed right um, unless they're having like, sex then, then, yes yeah. unless they're actually engaging right. but it's like having this mask it's like they can never really connect you know, and so when I see the two masks kissing, I'm always just like, ugh, what a pointless orgy. Like I'm like so disappointed, but but I also know that it's there. That that image of those two masks kissing is there to bother me, and it does. It works quite well. Oh, um, it's so disturbing. Anyway, it's so disturbing. Yeah, that's why I'm just like I can't imagine being like, oh, we're we're fooling, we're fooling yeah. around, and then as it get to the scene, it's like, oh, it's like. It's like no, yeah. I'm I'm getting upset. I need well, you got overwhelmed. You said yeah. I mean, that's, which is the point? Yeah, that, that is. Kind uh, of I always 
I feel overwhelmed after that scene. And I, I, and I can understand, that's why I brought up that story, I can understand why that former roommate felt that way, that after watching the movie up to... Because again, the, the masked ball, the centerpiece, doesn't happen until over an hour into the movie. So like we said, the movie's a little under three hours. It takes a good like hour and 15 minutes till we're even inside the, the party, the masked ball. I understand his sentiment of after I go through that experience, I feel like I've already watched an entire movie. I know what he means when he says that. So I can't really fault him for never having finished the film. Oh, but, but I, I'm like, for me, that's like when the movie really kind of starts. I mean, like... I agree. So that, I think that's what I told him. I was like, no, oh, you don't understand. Yeah, okay. I was like, you understand, the second half is like a fugue, and then he like goes through everything he did backwards, and like it's a whole thing that we can talk about. Anyway, we are jumping to the centerpiece of the movie. I wonder if we should sort of maybe go through a little more systematically, at least the first half. I'm glad that we're um, starting out focused, because normally we just talk about random things for a while. And um, mm-hmm. I feel like there is so much to talk about in this film. Um, we probably will spend five hours here if we go scene by scene, but we should at least try. Um, I guess off, off the top, I will say this. The reason the film is, is grainy is because it was pushed when it was, pro- when it was developed. And so, you know, um, if you push film for our, our, our viewers, you're, you're basically processing it. Um, you're overexposing it more because so, it was too dark and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So this film was pushed like a few different times, which is kind of dangerous to do with film, but they did it because mm-hmm. I guess the film was too dark. But that's what gives you all the graininess that you saw in the film, which doesn't really bother me at all. I think this film looks great. I think it's, I'm mm-hmm. always blown away that it was filmed in 1999. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a perfect world, he would have shot this at a more appropriate um, development speed, but he did it, yeah. yeah, but he- I actually think, two, well, two things, one, I think the graininess works for the sense of dreamlikeness of the film, and I think like things being a little because graininess isn't quite the same thing as out of focus, obviously. Oh no, but it does. It's like the illusion of a of a soft focus. It's like when it becomes grainier, right? It, uh, and so, so I think that adds something to it. But also, I would love to see, if if at all possible, the slightly dim or darker version of the film. I would love to see it before it got pushed. Oh, you know? he would have done this like initial, like when you uh, you would have to do this like when you process when it. When you process it, yeah. And so yeah. I did look it up just to make sure it was it was pushed um, two stops. So if you no. if you ever like mess with Photoshop or you do like negative one, negative two, so imagine mm-hmm. two negative twos. That's how dark it would have been. It's it's a lot. Two stops. I would a, love to is, see that is a lot, you know. So, so I would love to see a version of Eyes Wide Shut where where everything is really dim and you can barely make out what's happening. Because again, one of the other things is like the natural lighting in this film is insane. Because oh, it's like, great. Yeah. For so much, he's using Christmas lights, right? Which is like a really difficult for any camera people out there. Just fill a room with Christmas lights and then try to film somebody. You know, you really got to the technical expertise required for that is is interesting well that's that's i mean yeah that's why you had to push it to stops because <laughs> because right, right exactly because it'd be too dim right yeah yeah so when he it. when he shot it i i don't you know he could have just knew he was going to have to do that when he shot it that's very likely that that was just part mm-hmm. of his plan all along he's just like i'm gonna have to shoot it like this and then i'm just gonna have to push it it is what it is um, I don't know if you watched that film worker movie or not, which is about the I guy the guy that worked with him for a long time, but he actually talks about that he 
um, basically um, color corrected and fixed most of Kubrick's films when they got remastered and that a lot of the versions that they wanted to release were wrong and that this guy, that's why I thought you would like it because this guy was kind of like the person that is uh, saving his work really for the world and got kind of got unappreciated. Um, and uh, he's in this movie, he's the main guy in the ballroom that's holding the staff. That's the guy that I'm talking about. <laughs> Cooper. Oh, the red, the red guy, the red cloak. Was he, was he it just whatever the staff is? The main guy who talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I, I knew that he was a good. I didn't know he was the color correctionist, but I knew he was a very good friend of Kubrick. The guy that I'm not the, sure if he red, actually. Red, I always refer to him as Red Cloak but, because he's the only person that's not in a black cloak. Basically, like he would be. Oh, well, they're trying to release this version of Kubrick's film, and it's wrong. And he has all the the masters and originals. I don't know if he's actually remastering everything himself. He just he knows Kubrick's vision is making sure that that is actually in all the remastered versions of his films. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it was a while ago when I watched it, but I just thought how great it was. As this like wow, and he. And um, at the time, I think I'd watched that other film uh, about Orson Welles, and Orson Welles also had a guy that kind of did so much for him and never really got appreciated too. Um, so it just kind of Leon Vitali, yeah, is the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was he was one of Kubrick's personal assistants, and he also played Lord Bullingdon in Barry Lyndon. Yeah, but that, yeah, he's Red Cloak. That, he's Red Cloak. That's when they first met. Is when he did the Barry Lyndon role. Yeah. And then he was kind of inseparable from Kubrick ever since then, which that movie was kind of when he was a young kid. Uh, interesting though, people that do so much for films that don't really get appreciated. And um, yeah, especially if you're not like well known like this guy was. I think a lot of artists that aren't super extroverts almost have to have somebody like that um, to kind of defend them and be their spokesperson because they can kind of become unapproachable. And um, yeah, just kind of a fascinating concept. Anyway, yeah, that film, that documentary is worth watching. Um, but let's start going scene by scene. Or do you want to talk? Oh, yeah. wait, no, let's go scene by scene. Should we, well, wait, should we, we can go scene by scene. I mean, there's a lot to talk about just in the beginning. There's the before the party, right. during the party, and then after the party, right? That's a lot already. Sure. Because once we get start getting into the structure of the film, like we're not going to get out of it. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So when was the first? So yeah, time what's, you saw your, what's your history? Okay, I saw this film. I got it from the library when I was very young, um, probably fifteen, sixteen, right around when it came out. Um, I remember pe Christian leaders hating this film. I remember somebody saying "eyes wide filth." And <laughs> so I always remember that for some reason. I remember when I put in the DVD. Uh, I don't know if you had. Did you have. What happened when you put the, the Blu ray in? Did it have anything in the. Uh, when you went to the, the DVD menu or the Blu ray menu? Was there anything there? Because I remember the, the library DVD shows, like, basically Nicole Kidman, like, undressing as the DVD menu. And I was just like, wow. Oh, really? Wow. I know. I thought it was just crazy. I, was just, I never saw that. I was just um, like, what? And that was the DVD menu at, in my memory. And, um, the Blu-ray I have uh, does not have a menu screen. When you put it in, it right. just starts. Neither does mine. And then when you hit when you hit disc menu, it actually just goes to all the featurettes. 
It makes me wonder if there was like complaints about that menu screen and they were just like, okay, I guess we're not having a menu screen then. And I think it's great. I mean, yeah. if you're going to buy the movie, you're going to see the, the opening shot anyway. Right. I thought that was just such a cool, cool I think it's great. Um, DVD I did menu. not know that. I did not... Well, continue. Do you have a, a further background um, on your relationship so with this movie? I guess when I when I watched it in high school, whatever. Um, but it did start making me think about this whole idea about how it's worse almost to think that your girl's cheating on you than that she actually cheats on you. I remember that was probably when I really started thinking about that, and I was just like, "Yeah, it's kind of insane." It's just. This, the idea of um, your spouse or your partner having an affair is so destructive and uh, kind of why is that and um, yeah so I, I feel like that was initially when I saw the film then whenever I bought the blu-ray I guess that over the years I've seen it multiple times and then um, I'm like yeah this is one of my favorite films and I bought the blu-ray and rewatched it then at that time I'd been married a number of years had a different kind of take where I was just like it's a very positive relationship movie I remember that was kind of my feelings mm -hmm. about it then which probably been some distance before I saw it a few times now when I'm watching it I'm so similar in some sense where it's I've been married for nine years like our, our not only our, mm -hmm. our actors and actresses they also were married for nine years when they did the movie and so were their characters in the film which I thought was interesting <laughs> because um, they got married in 1990. So I guess when they were filming, they were probably a little less. Um, I also have a daughter. They have a daughter in this movie. I don't know if they mm -hmm. they had kids together. You could probably Google that and find that. But um, pretty sure they did. Um, so now when I see it, it is... Um, it's just... It's about so much that I think nobody wants to talk about. And... I ended up having this long conversation with some people I was kind of getting frustrated with and I was just like this is kind of they don't even understand the, the point that Nicole Kidman's making this film about how much women also have desires and I feel like mm -hmm. which makes this film almost still a little controversial to very conservative people who want to seem to be in denial that women also right. are sexual beings and want people just yes. as much as guys do. You know, oh, you mean they're human beings right, who also procreate? Right. Wow. Right. Surprise. 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 Yeah. Surprise. By the way, Kidman and Cruz have two kids together, a girl and a boy. But yeah, this actually reminds me, there's a there's a joke on, we spoke of John Mulaney briefly pre-recording, my preference for Mulaney, your preference for Seinfeld, despite them being very similar. And there's a great joke on the show Big Mouth. No comment. Probably in the first season <laughs> where they're like, wait girls are horny too and then all their heads explode yeah, like, like, yeah. so yeah uh, hormones exist in everyone wild that that's still uh, considered a, a taboo idea I, just that all all people have desires they were trying to make an argument that basically like predatory behavior was a 95% men issue and I was just like um, mm. no, that's not true. That's not true all the time. Women also behave very predatory and focus on aggressive sexual behavior. They do it in a different way than men do. And anyway, anyway. Case by case, like anything else. Yeah, exactly. It's a human thing. It's not mm -hmm. a women or man thing just because you have one sex that seemingly has been getting away or doing it or 
getting away with it more doesn't mean that there's both aren't right. equally interested in it, it you know but uh, yeah, it's just talked about less I mean right. there's actually a lot of examples I I could be wrong I'd have to google it but I believe when it comes to like teacher student relationships uh, there have been a lot of female teachers. Oh yeah, who have been that was arrested for this sort of thing. Oh, that was exactly yeah. my point to them. I was just like, mm -hmm. well, I actually read a lot about this in the paper, and it's almost always women. Um, but that's not every industry. But my point was like, when you're talking about teachers, it's normally always women, you know. And there are a mm -hmm. lot more women teachers than there are men, so that's a factor. Anyway, yeah, that's a much larger conversation, and then we'd have to get into like, oh, humans didn't oh. used to live so long, and blah blah blah. But the whole, kind of stuff. but the the reason, the connection is that yes, in my opinion, women definitely are just as interested in sex as men are, and <laughs> are can be aggressive just like men can be aggressive. It, and, yeah. and men that don't understand. I don't even think that's an opinion. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. It depends on the person. Right. I think it's a personality thing. Yeah. It's Well, personality and biological because let's face it, to some extent, it's not even one's personality. It's it's one's neurochemicals and hormones and all this kind of stuff yeah. that are propelling you towards certain desires, right? Anyway, let's the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, do you want to do personal, your personal history? I guess I did mine. Sure. Um, 30 minutes into the show. I haven't even yeah, talked about I the know. first scene yet. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, we we kind of jumped into the, the masked ball a little bit. Barely scratched the surface. Uh, no, that, it's done. I mean, there's Not a lot. This We could do a second. We might have to do another episode about this. Yeah. Because there's just, where do you start? On the first scene. <laughs> so my, well, it's in, my relationship with Kubrick is very strange also because... I was introduced to his, to his stuff as a child because when I was young, very young, I mean, we're talking, you know, before I was pre-puberty, I should say, uh, you know, 10, 8 years old, something like that, uh, on my mother's side of the family, my Uncle Tom is a great fan of Kubrick and is of the right age that he was able to see all of Kubrick's films in the theater as they came out. and. One thing that they would do, which I didn't realize till I was older, was that this is what was happening, was, uh, you know, the parents and aunts and uncles would have had a couple drinks, I'm sure, uh, or maybe like a little smoke in the back without the kids noticing. And at the end of the night, to wind down, my uncle would put on 2001. And I realized that it was kind of genius as in it later, many years later, and I've even joked with my uncle about this since, that it served a double function. It was like, one, let's wind down and watch my favorite movie, and two, this movie's so slow it'll put the kids to sleep, right? And so I have really fond memories of watching just the beginning of 2001, The, the Monkees, as, as I thought of it, and I loved The Dawn of Man. To me, it was like, this is the coolest thing ever, and as soon as it went to space, I would fall asleep. So at a very young age, I watched The Dawn of Man, you know, whatever, half a dozen times, and was just enamored by it. And then as soon as I went to space, I would be a child and I would go to sleep. Later, when I started discovering movies as a teenager, my father had a VHS copy of Full Metal Jacket, which is the first Kubrick movie I ever saw, I think, like, knowing how powerful movies were 
like when I was a kid and I saw the beginning of 2001, it was just like, whoa, cool. And then Full Metal Jacket was like this mind-blowing thing that I was almost like very intimidated by. Uh, I remember very young age, having seen more extreme movies than that, because my dad also loved like The Exorcist, for instance, because that came out when he was young. And they, you know, it was a big event to go see The Exorcist in, in the drive-in or whatever. I know I'm not talking about Eyes Wide Shut yet, but as a child, I saw 2001 as a pubescent, you know, very early teens, maybe middle school. My father's VHS copy of Full Metal Jacket kind of like startled me, like kind of scared the shit out of me, actually. It was so, it was so much, so intense to me. But I, I admired it, but like with a, with a sort of like hesitant thing. You know, I was I was intimidated by it, is the right word. And then as I got older, then I saw Clockwork Orange, and I sort of felt the same way about it as I did about Full Metal Jacket, where I found it sort of an intimidating movie. Eyes Wide Shut, I did not see until I was, I think, 18, which would have been 2002 or 2003. And I was, I was about to graduate high school. I'm going to make some real deep, deep cut Lindbergh High School, St. Louis references here. First time I saw Eyes Wide Shut, I was with Nick Lambrew, <laughs> Jason Hackett at David Lieber's house. And they, which is also the same place that I was introduced to Donnie Darko around the same time. And we would like get stoned or, or drunk and watch, watch some, you know, dark movie right and I remember Hackett like playing the the one note piano piece on the piano over and over again and my introduction to Eyes Wide Shut was definitely that I don't remember anything because I was a stoned 17 year old or whatever but I don't remember anything about how I felt about the film I just know that was the setting and then I definitely rewatched it in my early 20s because I ended up living with Nick Lambrew in California and he really loved it and we would talk about it but my admiration for it did not come until years later having rewatched it several times and always never quite getting it like never really being able to put my finger on the mystery and like the unsolvable insoluble mystery of it and it's only in later years of my 30s have I really come to like respect it and admire it and it's now my favorite Kubrick movie. So that's my very long answer uh, of <laughs> my personal relationship with the film. Is it, grew, it grew over time. I, ne- yeah, I, I had a weird, my whole, the whole point with TLDR, I had a weird relationship with Kubrick anyway from childhood on and like in, in being intimidated by his stuff, uh, which now I'm not. Well, maybe I, maybe I still am by Eyes Wide Shut. But my, my admiration for Eyes Wide Shut only grew and grew over the years. And as I got older, more and more layers revealed themselves every time I watch it. That's, my, that's how I feel. It's so funny, and we, yeah. The concept of, like, a mystery, because I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what, I'm, what you're thinking about that you don't know as far as the mystery. I'm, there's a lot of things that you don't know in this film. But, like, there's nothing that I don't know in this film that bothers me that I don't know it. So I am curious. Like, what are some of the things... What are the elements that you're, like, concerned about that you don't have answers to? Oh, I mean, God. I mean, then we'd really be 
I think one of the things that the film does so well to just dive way the deep into it already is the pervasive sense of uncertainty is what I mean and like the there's like mystery in the minutiae of everything and to look into to look into further detail in any given scene is to unpack even more questions that's what I mean I mean like I don't I'm not saying this is a classic mystery no I, I, I understand although that. you could say although you could say that yeah you don't uh, know I mean you do kind of <clears throat> know is did the did the group kill the girl? Yeah, I think they did. I mean, Sydney Pollack. Well, that no, Sydney, that's a belief. Sydney, I would say that that is yeah, that is an I, ambiguity. I just said I believe they did. I'm not denying yeah. that's a belief, but like, do you listen to Sydney Pollack? Do you think that's a better explanation? That's up to you. I don't think that's what the movie's about. That's why I don't really care about any of that. I'm just like. What I mean is, when I talk about the minutia, and if you try to look into any particular detail of the film, or you try to answer a question that you have about the film any detail which you look further into will only lead to more questions and that's why i think of this film as sort of the ultimate mystery because you know like like something like maholland drive for instance is that to look into it further is to is the can of worms it's to it's to open up more questions there there are no easy answers in this film and i i don't think reading it <clears throat> i don't think reading the story on some basic, or like for instance, you just talked about Ziegler's explanation. Did did the group kill the woman? Right. Does his explanation hold up? Just to I mean, try that ambiguity. That ambiguity is very purposeful. And yes, people can be on either side of that debate. But, but for me, it's about not choosing. The whole point is about not knowing. Right, and that's why I would call it ambivalent because it's a choice. It's not just vague or ambiguous on purpose it's it's purposely saying you can there's evidence to support both different arguments here and so that's why I'm like there's not anything in the film where I'd be like oh I want to know the answer to this instead I kind of look it's like oh this is a choice that adds to a complexity of this issue you know and so yes yeah, well that's that no we agree yeah I think we do I think we were just talking about terminology yeah I think we absolutely yeah, agree, yeah. agree. And yeah. when I refer to it as mystery what I mean is like it's it's not solvable. It's it's inexhaustible. Like to to look into it is to you can have your interpretation, but for me as a viewer, I prefer not to. I like the ambivalent as is nature of the film. The unknowable things that your spouse might think in their head or do in their personal time or what exactly. And there's so many little yeah exactly. And there's so many little fractals and metaphors throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Where like I said, if you try to look into it, it just spirals in on itself again. And that's you know. when you can talk about, like, is it supposed to be a dream? It's a whole... I'm not even interested in... But I'm like, there's definitely... I don't think that any of it is supposed to be realistic or logical. So whether you want to call that a dream or fantasy, whatever the terminology... I mean, the story is called Dream Story, so there's that. <laughs> but there is a lot of things in this that are not at all realistic. And you could talk about um, the locations to... Um, mm -hmm. The logic of the sequences to how every person, whether they're woman or male, throw themselves at Tom Cr Cruise, you know. And of course, mm -hmm. it's just there's so much that just it speaks to dream logic um, to me. Whether yes. or not it's making you think, did it really happen or didn't it happen? I don't. I don't really care about that. Uh, I don't think that matters. Yeah. I think the surface story. Uh, I think it's irrelevant as to whether it's it's happening. Or it's real. I don't. I don't think that matters. I think it's about like a dream. It's about how you interpret it, right? 
<clears throat> and or if you even can because some dreams are uninterpretable I would argue yeah sometimes um, dreams don't even lend itself to a strict interpretation you know mm-hmm. uh, it's a feeling right. right I would I guess now I guess why we're talking about this and you can tell me wh- whatever you think about this but for me for the first time the title finally kind of made sense to me today when I was really thinking about it and um, hmm. And the reason it was because I was like really thinking about, and this person was talking about how the guy who wrote the novel was friends with Freud and how there's a lot of Freudian mm-hmm. stuff in it and how it's about these unconscious desires, kind of like his whatever based on philosophies reading, he was a philosophy major. And um, no, psychology, not philosophy. Um, and so it made me really think about the film as a focus on unconscious desires and being like eyes wide mm-hmm. shut, being like, I'm, my eyes are open to what my unconscious wants. And I guess that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, that's yeah, kind it's of... It's about looking in. Looking yeah. in on what is below the surface. Whether you want to say that's a dream or you're unconscious. I was like, that. yeah, that works for me. I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, one of, the, one of the many iconic exchanges of dialogue between Cruz and Kidman at the very end is right. he says, and no dream is ever really just a dream. Right. And a- after she's There's like... There's always something... Dreamed or imaginary... Yeah, the dreamed or imaginary thing, which everybody who wants to claim it's a dream... We're awake now. We're awake now, right, yeah. Yeah, Wait. and I think that's... To answer your question about the mystery, it's like... like it, Some people, I think, might get frustrated by the film and say, well, if it's so unsolvable, why is it even there? What's the point? Which you could also say about something, like I mentioned, like Mulholland Drive... But I think that is the point. I mean, the, the answer to the questions is, is just to wake you up. It's to wake the audience up, to, like, be more aware. Uh, I'm, I maybe muddled that or skipped it. I'm not sure if I followed my own train of thought there. But the, to me, the nature, the core of the mystery as being, like, necessary in that it's ambivalent and you can't really know. Like, you can take sides if you want or you can just, like, soak up the fact the uncertainty of it all which I is what I prefer but it's like the point is like yes you can every time I watch this film That's, I feel like I'm sinking into it and I feel like the point of it is actually to to wake you up well to wake you out of that uncertainty which or excuse me to wake you out of that certainty that Tom Cruise has at the beginning yes. of the film and to realize that you don't really know anybody and that all, right. all your you, you put a lot of stock in your good looks and your doctor degree Dr. Bill but how well do you know your wife how well do you know anybody mm-hmm. in your life how well do you know yourself really and so right. the, the exploration of his own desires is kind of how i i think i read the film most of the time when i'm like okay this is kind of him going down um after he has that argument with his wife it, from there on he's kind of exploring different things and mm. um but you're yeah. absolutely right when you say it's it yes it is on one hand about exploring one's own desires in the unconscious but like you said, it's also this like critique of certainty. Yeah. Uh, which is like typified by the another iconic line between them when she says, "You're very sure of yourself, aren't you?" And then he says, "No, I'm sure of you." Right. And then she bursts out laughing. Right. Uh, because how could you be sure of anyone else? He he has a false certainty that he unknows how his wife's mind works, and then she blows his mind by saying, "I would have left you and our child for one night with this." you know, whatever, sailor, Navy seal or whatever he is. 
What is he? What kind of military is no, that guy? No, you're right. It's Navy. Yeah. Navy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think he, um, he might not... He had, like, military badges or whatever, but, yeah, he may be a little yeah, higher than... It doesn't matter. Like it's irrelevant. He's a... The story, a though, character. it's a... That's one detail I thought was interesting, because apparently in the novella, and you can confirm with this... Confirm... But the person that she fantasizes about is an old boyfriend of hers, not a just random person. So I, I thought that was such an important choice that Kubrick would have changed it to a random person as opposed to, like, her ex, which, um, mm. yeah. Because I, I do think it says something so different being a random person versus, like, an old flame. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which Well, I think that gives it somehow more gravity. Yeah. Like, it makes, it makes sense. Where to it makes you realize for an old flame that you've already had a connection with, but for for someone who just barely glanced at you, and for you to be willing to throw away your life for that, I mean that makes that desire so much more powerful, you know. Kind of just shows you how fragile any marriage is, however strong you think it is, and um, yeah, jumping all the way to the end, <laughs> being like, uh-huh. I'm, we just should be grateful that we're still together, you know. And I feel like that—that's right. if you're looking for an answer, that's the answer. You know, you make it through all these um, obstacle courses with a partner, and you're still together after ten years, then you should be grateful mm-hmm. because there's a lot of ways it couldn't have, it would have not worked out for. You and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And yet, if we are jumping to the ending, there is, I'm sure you have noticed or read, there are people from Ziegler's party at the toy shop. At the toy shop. Yeah. Uh, following them still. Oh, okay. Did you notice that one, that one of the people from Ziegler's party, when their daughter finally walks off, she goes with, it's very subtle, but she goes with one of the guys that's been tailing them, and then one of the waiters from Ziegler's party comes up behind her and blocks her. Interesting. I did not notice that, no. So it's so there is a conspiracy, which is, again, this is a total ambiguity, and it's a total one of the conspiracy theories inherent in the film that's a, that you can find on the internet, is that they kidnap their daughter at the end. But it's very subtle. I am not so sure I agree with that. I have rewatched that scene many times very closely after hearing that theory. Uh, but it is true, and as we know, Cooper is meticulous, that the people in the background when his daughter disappears are from Ziegler's party. They're the same actors. I mean, Cooper doesn't do that on accident, you know. So there, there it's weird, man. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so that's a fun one. But that's the thing. I, I think he plants these insoluble riddles throughout the film. And again, like I said, the more you look into the detail of anything, just more questions come up. And he's playing with the details. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like Joyce famously did that, and so does like Dylan when he talks about his own writing. Sometimes you do have people that purposely put things in stuff because they just know it'll kind of drive people crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, even a- Andy Kaufman is another example of someone who sort of sort of puts obstacles in the way of understanding what's going on. Right. You know, he's kind of like trying to attack your desire to have a strict interpretation of whatever mm-hmm. whatever it is they're doing. Um, okay, I did. And I, think I that's did. Part see of it. what makes there it is. Okay, the, it's just like yeah. two seconds. All right. Wow. It's very quick. Okay. And yeah, there's a guy carrying a large bag that comes up and he's one of the waiters at the opening party. 
and then it just never comes back to a white shot. Never comes back, because then it's, yeah, then it's just the, their final conversation, and the kid's gone. Interesting. Okay. Bizarre, right? You could just be she like, oh, she just went down. Yeah, anyway. Because, it, yeah. But, again, he doesn't do anything on accident. True. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. But it, And if you watch the people leading up to that, that bald guy, who she, like, kind of goes mm. towards, is following them almost the entire time they're in the... In the place. Yeah. Mm. Not the entire time, but he, he appears more than once prior to that scene. I, yeah, I guess I think with any author, and I guess I'll just reference uh, Mark Twain, if you have to work that hard to find out what they mean, then it's probably like an FU. It's not like a serious mm -hmm. thing. I guess that's just yeah. my my kind of... It's like, no, these people care that you get what they want you to get out of it. They're not like... Um, all right, just well, I want somebody I think, to just take this one scene and then extrapolate. You know, I just don't think that's yeah. how great artists are thinking. Yeah, anyway. I think, I don't know, I think the movie in some way tries to be unreliable. I think planting little, little unsolvable seeds like that is like, this unsolvable mystery is like, it, he knows he's putting dead ends in the way oh. of understanding the the rest i feel like if anything that almost like hints, a good maze hints is like is this are they really out of the dream almost if we're still having these like bizarre things happen um yeah well also i don't know if you know this but in that last sequence at the toy store also there's a one of the puzzles or toys at the very beginning says the magic circle mm. it's this red box that says the magic circle and the magic circle is a an occult reference that has to do with the circle that they're in at the at the orgy at the ball when he goes to when they put him on trial basically that's the magic circle yeah okay and so there's all sorts of weird little details and this movie's just peppered with those just these like strange little details that just add to the mystery and call back to earlier things and all sorts of little riddles but uh so this movie opens with Nicole Kidman's butt. Should we start? Strong choice. And then what? What are the first words like? They are. They are pretty funny first words. I guess. Let's see. And she takes off her dress. Guys, we choked. I think it's Tom Cruise says something. Oh, have you seen my wallet? Yeah. Yeah, which just kind of grounds you immediately in this kind of mundane conversation with a couple about, where's my wallet? Which, yeah, any... We're running a little late, is one of the next lines. Yeah. Also, she knows exactly where it is. She tells him, and then he grabs it. Yep, which... It's, it's something my wife can also do, tell me exactly where my things yes. are. Yeah. Anytime that I have lived with with a, a partner for an extended period, I'd be like, where's my shirt? And they'd be like, oh, it's a... You know, and they always know, which is a curious little thing, phenomenon that happens. I, I help her find some things, too, though. So it's like, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's the equal, but um, there are definitely times where I find stuff for... Right. Yeah, maybe it's just another set of... And items. then, so if we are going to... Yeah, exactly. If we are going to go through... So then, of course, Nicole Kidman says, how do I look? 
And he's right. like, you look great. She's like, you're not even looking at me. Right. Classic Which we can thing. extrapolate all kinds of, you know, from the title, Eyes Wide Shut. Right. Perfect. You look perfect. Taking her for granted, I would say. Very obviously. Takes her for granted. But then he does look at it when he says you're not even looking at it. And then hard cut to the party sequence and they meet um, Ziggler, played by Sidney Pollock, which is great in this film. I, I love Sidney Pollock in this film. He is mm -hmm. probably, besides Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, he's got to be in the film. No, maybe not. Maybe he's the third most. It seems like his, his part... He has a large portion, especially the, the closing conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the piano player is in it. Eh, he's got a Nick couple. Nightingale. He's got a couple scenes. Maybe my favorite character, Nick Nightingale. Really? Actually, I, he's up there. Yeah, I like it. Hmm. Well, he sort of represents like the devil, to me. It's like telling like you. He, yeah. He's telling you the secret you're not supposed to know. Right. He's he's the he's the one that's giving up the secret and the lie or the truth, I guess. And so he's he's the temptation, right? He's the fundamental temptation. He's the one without Nick Nightingale, none of this happens. He's the he's the key. He's the entry to the place. You know. I did think kind of like comically that I would ask you. It's like you realize that Nick Nightingale is the bad guy in this film. Like he's the person. Kind of. And you and you've already brought it up, so I don't even have to joke. He's about like it. the devil. Yeah, he he does. He is the driving force of the action in the film, you could argue, or the catalyst, at least, if not the drive. Because mm -hmm. I guess the Nicole Kidman... Well, he's the key. Yeah, he's the key. Or, yeah. To me. Nicole, he's the key to the party. Nicole Kidman definitely is the person that makes him, like, want to explore. So I guess she's the catalyst, but... Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, there's, like, the, there's the emotional catalyst, which is Nicole Kidman's confession. And then there's the like practical catalyst which is now you have access right to this this thing you're not supposed to have access to i mean let's also forget like scratch like nick scratch or, or whatever nick is one of the names of the devil yeah so there's that there's a lot of name stuff in this film we could talk about or not um yes the, so the party sequence in this and i'm just going to kind of jump to so they both kind of dance and get tempted by different people she's got like this old guy that's and my take on this is is kind of she likes to be wanted and this guy sure. wants her and makes it so clear and what and even though i would say she's not really interested in him like she's enjoying being wanted and being desired yeah being desired which is something that tom cruise has not given her um, right, and it, of course it's right after her husband compliments her without looking at her, and then this guy is really looking at her and clearly hitting on her. I mean, one of the boldest lines in the movie is actually when he takes her champagne. She goes, that was my drink, and he goes, oh, I'm sure of it, and then he chugs it. Mm. So he like, is purposely crossing her boundary by saying, like, not only do I, did I take your drink, I know it's your drink, and I'm going to drink it right in front of you as kind of a fuck you. Are you going to keep talking to me? It's like a dare. You know, it's very crap. And of course, he's, he's, you know, if he's at Ziegler's party, he's some sort of, like, royalty. I mean, the guy comes off like he's a duke or something. Who knows what he actually is, but... He's very confident. Yeah, he basically... Very confident. He basically yeah. is like, go have sex with me in a different location. And she's just like... 
it takes her a while to get to know, but I, I get, but I guess my reading of, and you could have a different reading. To me, it's just her wanting to be wanted, and that's kind of what she got out of this guy. Um, yeah, it's enjoying the process of this guy hitting on you, despite her knowing that she's already made her choice before they even started, that she's not going to let this go any further than a dance. Right. I mean, that's the other thing, the metaphor. I mean, it's a dance with that they're doing. They're doing a verbal dance as well, where he's... It's the mating dance, yeah. of course. And he's trying to lure her in so many ways. Even when it's clear that she's not going to go upstairs with him, uh, he says, can I see you again? You know, And then she's like, I'm married. Right? Holds up her ring. Um, and meanwhile, as we know, Tom Cruise is being hit on by two models who are fawning over him. Uh which there's a great shot during their dance where she spies and sees that happening across the room and it's a really quick insert in an otherwise series of pretty long takes and it's such a nice little weird little POV where Nicole Kidman eyes from across the room Tom Cruise getting sort of embarrassedly hit on by these two gorgeous women Uh, but then mysteriously he is taken off uh, to go deal with a woman who's overdosing with Ziegler. I definitely can see why she thought that maybe he could have slept with them. Like her being jealous of him and like starting the argument later Mm -hmm. it's, she has good reason. Your husband is they're clearly flirting with your husband, two gorgeous women then you just disappear for like a half an hour. Right. It's like Right, of course. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And also, while she is maintaining her fidelity, right. she's enjoying being flirted with. Right. Right? She's enjoying the process of flirting and dancing, but she at no point loses her fidelity. Right. And Which is a theme of the film, of course, because the password that the devil gives him is Fidelio. Right? True. Yeah. So, there's that. Um, but, uh, right. And so then we have the next scene. I, yeah. Whenever I do watch Dr. this... Bill. I, I always just think, I'm like, it's so weird. These two girls are just throwing themselves at this close, closing in on 40-year-old doctor. I mean, they're going to have a threesome. God, not the ageism thing again. They're going to have a threesome with them somewhere. I'm just like, it doesn't like doesn't it. seem super realistic to me. <laughs> oh, my God, are you kidding? Well, yeah, that he's just, like, uh, at a party, and there's just two women are just like, yeah, let's just go. I mean, what, whatever. It seems highly... It seems realistic to me, especially when you're talking about how wealthy these people are. I mean, there there is a large strata, especially if you're talking about models, models who get invited to a high-end rich party. I mean, these are people who, for lack of a better word, their ideal mate is something of a sugar daddy, for lack of a better word. I mean, there there's always the desire for the older man, if only for not just status, but security and the security that wealth offers. And that's a, you know, living, for instance, in a city like LA, I see that every day. Where, you know, if you don't have the car, the job, and the suit, you won't even get looked at. Because status, security, and uh, wealth are so coveted. It's not even that they are even particularly attracted to Dr. Bill, it's simply the fact that he's a doctor, which they talk about. Right? They're like, oh, doctors are so... I forget what they say, but they, they compliment simply the fact of being a doctor. Yeah, they do. Because to them, that means wealth. That means 
security and someone who can, he's, you know, give them the good life. He's kind of the low man right. in that group, though. Like, he doesn't know anybody. Um, we They don't know we that. We find out that the only reason he's there is kind of it's like, oh, well, this is what I have, you know, I, I make house calls and this is what I do. Like, even though he does have status as a doctor, um, at the same time, like, in this setting, he's... He's lower. He's lower than everybody else, as he is in the. Um, oh yeah. The party. That's why he's not invited to the mass ball. Right. Right. Of course. He's not that high up. Yeah. I, I mean, that's why Ziegler even says, if you knew the people that were there, you wouldn't sleep so well at night because they're probably all politicians and shit, right? Um. But the fact is, these models don't know that. These models just see this guy's at this party. Therefore, he is rich. Therefore, we desire him. Uh, and also, one of them has met him before. And he's like, you know, that's the kind of hero I can be. I can offer a handkerchief oh, yeah. to him. And, that's right. We did hear right? that. Sequence. So there's that. There's that. Yeah, I guess um, there's... It's no surprise to me that a rich doctor is being hit on by models. There's so that many women... Everyday occurrence. Just throwing themselves at Tom Cruise in the movie. I guess that's why I didn't really think... It's like, yeah, there's this happens in all these scenes in this movie. I don't think it's realistic. You can think it is. It's fine with me. Um, but then he he almost looks like he's going to go away with them. They talk about the end of the rainbow, and then immediately, mm -hmm. when he's kind of making the decision, which I love, that we didn't see him give a hard no, you know? He's not like, mm -hmm. he, he kind of is like, he seems like he's down to clown, kind of, you know? And then... Well, he's both he embarrassed and he's... He's interested, yeah. Yeah, but then he gets pulled away. Like, I just think it's interesting where Nicole Kidman definitely says no, you know, where he just gets pulled away. And we see that yeah. recurring theme throughout the film where mm -hmm. he's he wants to sleep. The only person he really says no to, I guess, is the is the the prostitute that he picks up that he's just like, no, well, this isn't right. To, and, to your point, the prostitute who picks up him. Let's not forget yeah, she talks to him first. And, and the reason... If you notice that the other types of clothes that people are wearing on that street, he's obviously the richest person on the street. Oh, absolutely. You know, and yeah. so that's another thing, just like with the models. She sees this guy has money, therefore I'm going to lure him. Right. I would agree that status is definitely like a recurring theme throughout the film, and we could point to mm -hmm. how status is being used in every scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and although we're jumping ahead a bit, one right before Domino, the prostitute. Right, attempts Domino. to bring him in, he is assaulted briefly by these bigoted, like homophobic men who are calling him gay, right on the but street. But also more more sexuality being thrown into the film, and mm -hmm. guys that maybe closet homosexuals that are also hitting on him. We don't right. really don't know. Maybe but what's the reason they think that? What's the reason they think that? Because he's dressed well. Because <laughs> he's dressed nice. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the same yeah. reason that the the bigoted, closeted homophobes. Mm -hmm hockey check him into a car and call him so many slurs right. is the exact same reason that the women hits on him. And so there's also the insecurity of like these men are dressed in like hockey jerseys or whatever and are like some, some drunk fools on the street being homophobic and his status of having nice clothes and a, and a, a beautiful peacoat jacket in, for the winter all those signifiers are the same reason the women are hitting on him. And so there's like an insecurity for those those bros also, right? That they don't have that anyway. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And so when we get up to Ziggler, I 
this is a great sequence. I'm, and mm -hmm. I'm going to try not to stop saying the, things the like OD, that. But the, I'm going to not interrupt you at all because the OD sequence is great. Go ahead. For me, how when we cut to the sequence, we see Sidney Pollack or Ziegler pulling up his pants, mm -hmm. which I love that detail where it's you catch him. So there's no question like what was going on in the sequence because you see him pulling up his pants as you, as the Tom Cruise character comes in. Um, very clearly, we see this once guy who seemed like a family man with his wife. All of a sudden now he's hovering over a woman that's OD'd, um, that's clearly a prostitute. And his character changes completely where before it's like, oh, I can trust this guy. He seems like a good guy. And now it's like he's just kind of, oh, she's a drug addict and she's going to die anyway. Like his character changes so much in that sequence, but also we have more naked women that are unconscious which is <laughs> or <laughs> in this film like throughout so it's like a, there's so much in this sequence that like you see throughout the the film that's introduced mm -hmm. here and, and um there's a lot yeah, of foreshadowing yeah obviously i mean we know ziggler's like i know you were at the party so you kind of like yeah ziggler went was there at the party most mm -hmm. likely or he heard about it somehow and so this kind of behavior you know oh go ahead my personal opinion is, you know the two people up on the balcony who nodded him? Yeah. That's Ziggler and his wife. That could vary. I think that that's my personal interpret Of all the ambiguities of the film, that I will go on record and say that's what I lean towards as saying, oh, that's why would these two people nod at him? They're also about the right height mm. uh, compared to when they first talk. Oh, also, to something you just said about Ziggler gradually revealing his character or his his darker more shadowy sides of his character right um right. despite like you said when we meet him you're like oh i can trust this guy he's a friend he, he's a fellow doctor he invited me to his party every year whatever despite the fact that i don't know anybody but there is a foreshadowing to ziggler being a little two-faced in that very first conversation okay he's he compliments tom cruise's wife he says, oh, you yeah. look gorgeous. And then he goes, and I don't say that to everybody. And then his wife goes, yes, he does. Yes, he does. So right. he lies. The first time we see him, he lies in a, in a silly, jovial way. But he's also, he's complimenting someone else's wife. He then lies and says, I don't say that to everyone. And then his wife is like, ha ha, yes, you do. Because to me, it's obvious that his wife and him are both in the sex cult, for lack of a better term. Uh, so she's she's in the know too. I don't think that this guy is cheating on his wife with a prostitute on drugs. I think his wife knows exactly who her husband is, and she is there for it. You know, these are risque people. I yeah, I understand that point. I mean, there's also just normal joking that any couple does. So that's that is is also just a recreation of your typical good-natured husband and wife where the yeah. husband would say something and the wife would say that's not true and then they have kind of like a fun argument right. so but do you I mean, see I what I mean see, about how I it's like kind of I foreshadowing his character yeah, is like I can you can't really trust ways. what he says also the focus on looks where she is constantly being told how good-looking she is at every sequence and then finally she's had enough of it when she's just like all oh, you when she says the argument and she's like that's the only reason anybody would want to be with me is because I'm beautiful and, and she kind that's when she kind of goes off on um, Tom Cruise or Bill later 
um, when she, she's tired of hearing people tell, tell her about her looks constantly. And then she finally has enough when she gets mad at Tom Cruise and she's like, that's the only reason you think any guy would want to dance with me or be with me is because they want to have sex with Cause me. Because they want to fuck me, yeah. because yeah, I'm beautiful and that whole thing, yeah. I think that speaks to sort of the larger nature of the film is there's more under the surface. Like, for me, the one of the great things about the film is that every little thing, every little piece of dialogue, every choice the characters make is revealing in some way and belies the surface of the story. If you just take the story on its face value, it's a good and interesting story, but really the undercurrents and the sort of subterranean desires and things that are going on in the film are the real mystery and the real intriguing things that, that make it such a rewarding experience to rewatch over and over again. So I think, to me, there's all these like fractal things that are happening where Nicole Kidman talking about, you know, people only see me as beautiful and I have much more depth than that in so many words. And then now let me reveal this confession that you never knew about, right? Um, that, that speaks as like a metaphor for the whole film of like, do not trust what's on the surface. There's always something else happening in the background. There's always some deeper meaning to what's going on. There's that. I remember one time I saw a very annoying comment online about this film. Um, in some film group, someone who... <laughs> someone who didn't understand it. Or, or I should say, someone who took the film at face value. And the annoying internet comment that I saw was, everyone thinks that Kubrick is playing some sort of 5D chess, when really it's totally empty. And I don't think I replied, but my initial thought was Slam. like... Slam! Okay. It's what you bring to it. If you see a fullness in this film, then that's part of what's... It's, it's eyes wide shut. It's looking within. It's what's within you. If you're bringing an empty interpretation to it, then the film is empty, sure. Right? Uh... And I think it does that. I think this this movie has that sort of hall of mirrors effect to any interpretation. But I love that term 5D chess. And I love that someone that was chastising the film used it because he is playing 5D chess <laughs> with our expectations and with the, the subtleties of the movie. So Is that like a Star Trek thing? Isn't there some kind of three-dimensional chess? Yeah, there's like two Trek? different layers of chess games going on, like tiers of chess. Yeah. Right. I mean, it. I comments like that do make me think. I'm like, when I was in high school and I watched this, which, yeah, I'm pretty sure, I, maybe it was early college, but I definitely really appreciated the the things that this film talked about. That's when what blows mm. me away when people are like, I just didn't like it, where I'm like, it didn't make you like think about your relationships and how much you need. You know, because that, that's what I took away with this film. Um, it's very scary because it really wants you to realize that there is possible this undercurrent to everyone that you know that mm -hmm. is, uh, could be anything and you just don't know and you can't know and that's the secret, you know? And, and you gotta live your life anyway and mm -hmm. uh, you gotta just, just move on. And um, yeah. 
that was something I'm thankful for that I saw this film because it, I, I think I started dealing with that at this t at that time because I mm. I definitely started like the whole dream sequence right um, where he asks her like what she dreamed about I'm like mistake rookie mistake I would never <laughs> ask my wife to tell me her dream never gonna do it like really? I'm not I'm not I'm not interested in I don't need to know that you have fantasies about other people like we don't need to talk about it like I'm okay like with every being every person being their own person but like having to feel that kind of security that Tom Cruise is after like I need mm -hmm. to feel that constant fidelity you have to tell me your dream because uh -oh. I need to know that you're faithful in my dream it's like no you don't dreams are dreams they're for that person they're not for anybody else mm -hmm. you, you don't need to disclose your dream to anyone and right. dreams you know, are maybe, maybe the most personal experience that we all have and I'm not saying that if couples feel like they need to talk about that stuff and it's healthy by all means do do so but um, for me personally like I don't like feel like that's super productive but other people think, hey, I need to get this off my chest. I need to be honest and open about it. For me, sometimes being honest is about knowing um, what your relationship is and what it isn't and, mm. and uh, what it can't be sometimes. It's like, so I would almost even argue that mystery in a relationship is a good thing. And, and yeah, like try, trying so. to know all of their... Yeah, it's it's, well, it's about it's respect, illusion. right? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there's a level of respect of like I understand that you are your own conscious person that has your own mysteries and and you know internal things that you'll never be able to really say out loud. I'll never, you know, and with the dream thing, for instance, like if somebody wants to tell me their dream, I'm down to listen always, but I'm not going to pry. Right, I'm be like, like oh, what'd you just wake up from? you know um, right and so it's like I love the idea of sharing the narrative of a dream with someone uh, whether it's intimate or, or a friend or, or whatever but but yeah um, to what you were just saying yeah I think it's a matter of respect I think it's acknowledging you are a fundamentally separate person you are conscious and you have your own life despite the fact that we have decided to live our life together I acknowledge that you are one you have agency and you are outside of me and you do your thing and I do mine and it works really well when we're together you know but you still have your mysteries and your secrets and I don't want to I don't want to mess with that and so yeah I think there's a there's a level of, con of respect but also of not being controlling right which is sort of the fidelity the desire to know or his certainty is is like a controlling thing in Tom Cruise's character. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I would just say you can't know, and it's kind of, you're setting yourself up for failure by making it so important. <laughs> you know, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, yeah. And it's and, it, and I'm not trying to say this lightly because this is something like I struggled with in relationships, and um, you know, I finally did come to just the conclusion like it's just kind of impossible to know, and that shouldn't matter like that shouldn't be the mm. end-all be, be all um, yeah people need their people need their secrets I mean there might be you know some childhood trauma or something that people just not only don't want to talk about but don't need to talk about even to their most beloved or or trusted people 
sometimes you just don't want to get into it. You don't want to. You don't want to open that. You don't want to ball up that yarn or whatever term we might use. You know, sometimes you just you you keep the door closed a little bit, and that's what dreams are for. Is like let's unlock that a little bit and, and sort of tease that out. You know, and that's 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 why I think dreams are such a private thing. It's such a personal experience. You know. When I first saw this movie, I was so on Tom Cruise's side. I think especially when she starts trying to argue with him, it seems, and he's just like, why are you trying to argue with me? You're too high. You know, and he says that line, I feel like, mm -hmm. what yeah. guy hasn't been mad at their wife or spouse for, like, bringing something up, like, late at night when they're just like, mm. look, I thought we were having a good time here, and then you want to talk about this all of a sudden. But we know, especially since we've seen this movie, like how much she wanted to talk about it, probably because he saw her, you know, she saw him disappear with those girls and didn't know what happened. That mm -hmm. could have been the reason. So the uncertainty. That she's, right. That she's just like, I had that uncertainty for you, and you don't even deal with that. And that's what makes me mad. And mm -hmm. you don't. Mm -hmm. And so, and then now watching it, I'm like, rightfully so that she says that to him to just make wake him up a little bit like we talked about earlier absolutely um, but but as a younger man I was just like that's the worst thing you can do to a guy like make him no. like just think about the possibility of you cheating on them all the time like that's a terrible thing to do to somebody that you love and care about it's, like just torture them with the 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 mind games that happens to him you know throughout yeah. the most of the rest of the movies it's like that's a terrible thing that you did to him but you kind of now I understand why she felt it was so important to do it. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, the point of the story is that she didn't do it. I mean, one of my, one of the more beautifully delivered lines by Nicole Kidman in this totally like exquisite scene, where she her confession, is when she realizes that the Navy guy is gone. She felt relieved because she and that that word she felt relieved to me says so much because she knew that her desire could complicate things or could be really detrimental and yet when that desire was gone she was like huh I'm so glad and that's to me that's why she's admitting it to him is like I want you to know this that this was difficult for me you know and in, I think there's also a really cool contrast between that opening conversation, which is like the emotional catalyst for the movie, where she confesses, and their closing conversation, where they have a, he, well, which we actually don't see. He says, I'll right. tell you everything, and then they cut oh, to God. a pic, an image of her with tears running down her face while she's smoking, having just heard the entire story of the film, we assume, right? Um, but that's interesting too, like I'll tell you everything, which you can't really do, right? But, oh, there's so much. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a really cool, like fugue-like structure where the first and second halves kind of mirror each other after the ball. I mean, he sort of goes to each place that he went to before that in backward order in the second half, and they're all like not there, right? Um, anyway, we... <laughs> well, well, yeah, and that's where I get kind of get into the more dreamlike logic where so much, unlike a normal film or movie, 
you wouldn't get someone like saying what you're thinking as a viewer, but you have that throughout <laughs> throughout the film, mm -hmm. even in a sequence where it's kind of random that he's um, checking the the heartbeat of this beautiful woman who has her top off, and you're just like, oh, it's random random boobs in this film. Okay, he's at the doctor's office, and that's such a there's that sequence which seems odd and then um, Nicole Kidman like brings it up later and she's and you, you, you immediately get that reference and then you get the sequence that we just talked about where they're talking and the random person that she wants to throw everything away and then the same thing happens to Tom Cruise mm -hmm. where he goes where he has a woman who's about to marry someone else who kind of looks like Tom Cruise and she's like I'm going to throw everything away on you even though I don't know you so it's like mm -hmm. he right. wants well, to that's... deny that's a reality okay. and then it happens to him in the next scene. <laughs> it's right. just so, so dreamlike, yeah. So once again, yeah, the dream logic is, is pretty thorough in this movie. But, um, I mean, we'll never be able to go see my scene for this movie. Yeah. Because it, it yeah, all, it all so, it's all so interwoven and everything interconnects to something earlier and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, so there's, they're at the party, the dance, the flirting the girl ODs, the after party, the doctor visit, right? So the doctor visit. Right, right. So I think we're at the doctor visit, yep. So their argument takes place, which we did not get too much into. I mean, their whole episode could be just about their argument. I guess we skipped the sex scene and the look in the mirror. Yeah, there's just so much. That's why I'm like, with people that say this movie's slow, I'm just like, there's so much that happens. Um, mm -hmm. There's the, you did a bad, bad thing, and then she Yeah, like, I was about to pull that mirror. up. It, Actually, yeah. So that, it. I guess, because th when I saw this movie, I was like, I thought they had the argument the same night. And I'm like, no, they didn't. They had the argument at the end of the next night. Because they go to bed, they, or they sleep together, then they wake up, he goes to work, all of that happens, and you mm -hmm. see her getting up, and then they have the argument that night. Um, anyway. But yeah, this is... If you do want to call this film, like, a, any, any type of, like... This is the one, like, sexual f scene, I would say, in, in the entire movie, where it's mm -hmm. actually kind of a hot sequence. But the use of mirror again, where she's focused on herself and kind of mm. looking at herself. Um, but anyway. Um, so yeah, there's this. Did you know, actually, there's a fun trivia. Kubrick had a different song in mind, but Nicole Kidman was listening to Chris Isaac at the time on the set. And Kubrick was like, what is that? That's perfect. And he used this song. Well, slam dunk, Cooper. Yeah, I know, right? no Noticing Inco that because I can't imagine. I can't imagine a better song in that sequence. It works so well. Yeah. Um, and also the lyrics lend themselves to it too. So yeah, we fade out and then we go into, yeah, like you said, the doctor stuff. And her getting ready in the morning again, the mundane mm -hmm. things of life, you know, <laughs> just. Mm -hmm. And also another shot, uh, it's like the beginning where she takes off her dress, now she's putting it on, right? Right. So there's all sorts of like mirrored things going on here. You had a question I was going to get around to the, after the argument, he gets the phone call, which happens a lot. Dr. Bill gets interrupted a lot in mid-desire before he can make a choice, right? Uh, this happens at first with the models, where he gets interrupted and has to go deal with the woman ODing. 
This happens again after his wife gives her the confession, and then he gets a phone call, and he has to go, quote, show his face. I have to go show my face, because Lou Nathanson just died. And he goes to this woman whose father just died, who's in hysterics. And this is a really interesting scene. You mentioned how her husband kind of is like a low-rent Tom Cruise already. But what's interesting about this scene is there's... I can see some of the Freudian stuff going on here in terms of, like, sex and death. The woman whose father's just died and Dr. Bill has shown up to console her. And she throws herself at him. And that's because there's this sort of reptilian brain thing going on where sex and death are like intimately intertwined in like an evolutionary sense. Like there's, I always think about for some reason during that scene that there's this thing where when someone's stuck on a desert island, when people die on a desert island and they're starving, they often have sex. And sometimes when they find someone on a desert island, one of the people that died will be pregnant. Hmm. And and it's because when your survival mechanism kicks in so greatly and when you're at the brink of death, all the brain knows how to do is, like, you need to procreate. You're not going to make it, so you need to make another one. And it's just this, like, evolutionary thing that happens that sex and death are totally intertwined. And I think that's part of what's going on in this scene. It's like she is so shook by the passing of her father. And now this doctor, Dr. Bill, Tom Cruise, the the patriarchal figure in this scene now, who is now taking control of the situation, and she throws herself at him because she's so discombobulated emotionally at this loss. You know, the loss of a parent is a, is a strong thing. And so she confuses hormonally her, her the depth of her loss for this death with her desire right and so they become like intertwined in this weird way and she's completely out of it you know I would say this woman is not of sound mind during this scene right I guess I just see it more as like this is what Nicole Kidman said happened that she wanted to sleep with this random guy that she didn't know very well now we have a character wanting to sleep with Tom Cruise that he admittedly doesn't know very well he says you don't even know me we've only had conversations about your dad and her fiance is like almost there so I'm like if she just wants to have sex I mean that guy apparently was there earlier and he's there now so for me it's like the having to face that this is real women do mm. just want to sleep with God you know she he can't ignore it anymore because it literally happened to him but it's also a dreamlike thing where it's like, oh, it's something you think about, so you see it in your dream, which is, happens in mm. dreams. You know, you get fixated on something, right. it happens. Well, I think it's, it's interesting. Both. He, it's interesting. He calls her later. I feel like that's always interesting. That he's like, did I do the wrong thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, like I said, the second half, he goes back through the first half again. Right. Yeah. But, it, but it. I mean, it's it's sort of both. It's it's that, and it's also, she's going through this trauma, and she's reacting in a totally unpredictable way. And so That's I don't think it's I don't think it's That's just what he that says. Yeah. Yeah. Go I ahead. don't think it's as simple as she wants to bang the doctor. I think she is in a state where well, I mean I mentioned the sex and death thing. 
Yeah, you explained what he meant. I, I mean, that is what so Tom Cruise that's, thinks that's is present. going on. That's, that's what present. he says. He says, this is what's happening. You're responding because your father just died. I mean, that's what... Yeah, anyway. Yeah, um, it's directly mentioned, but... I don't know. I think it is, it is different from... Yes, he has just been told about his wife's confession. But with his wife, it was just a glance across the room from a Navy guy and then her imagination. With him, this is a recurring person that he knows... And this is someone who is now throwing herself at him because she's in psychosis, basically. I mean, she's in a she's in a hysterical state. I um, mean, it's not complete one to one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but but still, you have the fiance, the same timing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels. Um, and then I, for me, that's when he really realizes that he wants to kind of act on this like when after that happens uh, to me it's where he kind of decides that he's interested in at least looking at other women um Mm. i don't know when you think that he kind of decided that um but when he starts wandering the streets after that i really feel like it's a response to being really upset with her willingness to sleep with him like that just like really threw him and then meeting the the guy that's the fiance right afterwards and you can see in her eyes that she's like don't leave don't leave and he leaves anyway and just is like all right i'm just leaving and he you know gets out of there and then goes to the piano bar next right yeah yeah you know it's a good question um as to like why is he why is he investigating that what what is what is it about her confession that has propelled him to this and one thing that i think about over the years when i revisit the movie is well okay for instance we talk about his his like control issues and his his desire to, to quote unquote know her fidelity right um and her big reveal of you cannot be sure of who i am inside right and we talked about respecting the other person's autonomy and this kind of stuff and so one one way that i started looking at this movie is like I don't think there's anything particularly like immoral or unethical that Tom Cruise does as he's taken through this like dream landscape, if only because anytime he's given the choice, he's not allowed to make the choice, right? It gets interrupted, which is a genius thing. But the point I wanted to make was um, it's like each of these attempts, whether it's the the domino the prostitute and sort of letting that play out seeing where this is going to go before his wife calls and interrupts it whether it's taking the bait from nick nightingale and uh going to the mass ball all these different things i wonder if it's all an attempt by him to understand where his wife's coming from like to me it's almost as if the mystery which has blown open for him is his wife's own mind (laughs) and this reveal from her is like you don't know me as well as you think you do and now the rest of the movie to me is not so much his desire for other women at all they're like pawns in all this but really it's his desire to understand his own wife and his desire to understand her desire right and so to me there's almost an empathetic quality to his his journey 
it's like I I want to know how she felt. I want to somehow reenact or recreate that. And look, I'm in a dream, and all these things are being offered to me repeatedly, right? Lucky me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That 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 was that was all. It might be that's not the end of that thought, but that was the point. It was just like to me, the more I watch it, the more it's like, no, he's his desire is really to understand her, her desire, right? Through all these, you know, ridiculous. Um, Are you saying at a conscious level or an unconscious level? Uh, somewhere in between, like subconscious somewhere. level. Okay. He, he's by by engaging with these riskier scenarios. Part of it, I would agree with that. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, one thing we haven't talked about. So the the sort of like mirror structure of the movie. So he meets all these different people in such an order until the mass ball. And then after he gets out of the mass ball, out of the dream, quote-unquote, the rest of the movie, he goes completely backwards. And he tries to go back to all these places. He tries to go back to the costume shop. He tries to go back to the hotel. He tries to go back to the, the prostitute. And each time, the person is missing. Nick Nightingale is not at the hotel. He tries to go find Domino, and her roommate is there and says, oh, it's a good thing you didn't have sex with her because it turns out she's HIV positive, right? And so it's like he starts to realize in retrospect all these risks that he was in proximity of, uh, which for one reason or another got interrupted before he was able to make a choice to do this risky behavior. And so like there's a weird structure where everything sort of like folds in on like double, the second half perfectly mirrors the first half is what I'm trying to say. I think if you want to say anything that he does that kind of is a little, he does definitely fondle the girl, which is kind of an interesting scene, which you did, did just reference. I feel like that which is, one? That's, a, that's a scene that I, I definitely rewatched a few times when I was younger. I was like, did he really just do that? And he, which and one? he does. When he goes to look for the girl, the prostitute, um, when he's when he goes back and he knocks on the door and it's like, oh, is she here? And the the woman who answers like, no, she's not. And then oh, the roommate. In. The roommate. Yeah, he fondles yes. her and he gets like very close to like mm-hmm. making something happen. And then she's like, sit down, you might have AIDS. Yeah. Right. And and I think that there's a good reason for that too. That's one of the only times that we really see him approach someone and I think that's because he's back in reality he's out of the dream now he's he's out of all these risky situations that he put himself in where he did not act and now he's like wait wait, can I it's like waking up and wanting to go back into the dream be like no no no, I want to go back there I want to I want to change my mind I want to I want to actually do the thing that I didn't that I was too scared to do Right, and, and so yeah, so yeah, he like down. places his hand on you know the small of her back. He of well, the, he takes the roommate or whatever. He, he unties her her top and oh, he sees right. his hand on her chest, that's and like right. it's it's pretty clear which that is the sequence where you could say he goes the farthest. I guess he mm-hmm. kisses or not no roommate. Oh, he he kisses yeah Domino's roommate. He kisses Domino in that scene, but yeah, nothing else happens, and he's really tempted, but he's a good. He's a good boy then, and he decides to not... He could have had that relationship, but decides not to because his wife called him. I guess that's what mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe. If she hadn't called him, maybe it would have gone a different way. Right. Um, and then, if I'm remembering the movie right, he goes... 
what happens after that prostitute scene? Is that the goes to the piano bar after that? Yes. Sally rubs up against him. Sally's her name. Roommate. So do you have any idea when you expect Domino back? Yeah, they were yeah. Domino back. I have no idea. I want to rewatch it and see what we're talking about here. No. Oh, yeah, you're fine. They're very close. She's clearly attracted to him. She may not even be coming back. She may not even be coming back. It makes me want to watch it again, but it's such an ordeal. Like, do I really want to do three hours of this again? I know. It's, it's but you start long. watching a scene, and you're like, oh, this part. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay, so the question was, I got sucked in for a second. See, it sucks you in. Um, the question was, what happens right after that? Oh, it, right after that is when he gets followed. He starts getting t noticing that he gets tailed. He's being tailed quite a bit, but now he notices he's being tailed. Okay, the, I, I guess we've kind of thrown, we're, we already are at an hour 40. I, I guess I was still trying to be like, oh, what's the sequence after the scene with, uh, with Domino, the first, you know, at the beginning of the film? Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I went to the I went to the mirror scene at the yeah. at the end. I went no, to the that scene is so. worth watching because it is it's one I seriously rewound and rewatched like several times when I first saw it because I was like they're just about to sleep together, but then she she breaks off and she seems like laughing and interested and he's like having a great time and then all of a sudden she's just like yeah, Domino has AIDS and then. Do we just get a hard cut from then? And he, he obviously leaves. Um, yeah, and that's or, when he starts getting tailed. But you were right. To answer your question from several minutes ago, after he leaves Domino initially, at, because he got a call from his wife, by the way, uh, right. he then goes to the Sonata Cafe, or he accidentally passes by the Sonata Cafe and then goes, oh, yes, Nick Nightingale, so on and so forth. Right. Um, and then he learns about the party and spends some time figuring out how to get a mask and yeah yeah I don't know if which we're is a whole nother part, yeah part we're gonna two. have to we're uh, all we're we approaching should, should two we just, hours should we just cut here and maybe <laughs> I don't know Oof. if we want to just come back to it next week or yeah we might have to do a part two because this is I, it's I like well this is the thing I mean where I, do you there's start still so much to talk about. And we haven't I even talked about the rainbow. Room, I don't feel like we've is, really wasted any time. I feel no. like we've we've hit on some important things. Okay. And um, I, I think, um, well, that's fine. Where we left off is the rainbow room. He hasn't even gotten to the party yet, <laughs> and we're ending the, this episode. Um, but him going to get the costume is a such a crucial. And well, strange. that's that's exactly why I was just like we haven't. It's like we're going to spend a little bit on that scene, and I don't mm -hmm. want to rush it because there's so much else in the film to talk about. Oh yeah, with the two like Japanese men and stuff, oh, right? Man. And then we okay. get the the guy like prostituting his daughter, and you know whatever, mm -hmm. um, which is such a. I'll just say one thing about that scene, gentlemen. He, have you no sense of decency? <laughs> oh, that's a good impression. Uh, I will say his costume shop is awesome, and that Amazing. he looks lo looks like he has he's got mannequins everywhere. Everybody's dressed. I'm just blown away. And I remember watching it this time. I was like, yeah, it's very dreamlike. 
who has this nice of a costume shop? You know? uh -huh. Well, and New York that, has some weird places. It looks true. like a dive bar, and then there's very expensive stuff inside. Then it's, then it's not. I mean, that's that's purpose. That could be true, but I'm just like the oddity yeah. of the adventure at the costume shop is such uh -huh. a just weird thing in its own, and then the the young girl, yeah, um, yeah and the Japanese men, which. Yeah, it's a, it's disturbing. I definitely remember probably being the most disturbed by that scene when I was younger. Um, sure, I'm, yeah. I've accepted it now in my old age. You know, one of the things about th about that scene visually that gets me is, you know, like I did the, I did my Mandy Patinkin impression of gentlemen, you have you no sense of decency, right? Mm. Uh, and then the the scared Japanese man, one of them goes, "We were invited here by the young lady." Right. Right. Uh, and then, and she's just sitting there, like smirking and smiling the whole time. But the two Japanese men are dressed in drag, and they have to fuck, a lot of to makeup fuck her daughter. They, makeup yeah, they're on their face. Yeah, yeah. They're There's wearing wigs. They're wearing women's clothes. Fighting. They're wearing right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then and so then, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's like this costume shop owner's daughter who is definitely underage, certainly the actress was, has invited these two Japanese businessmen to come and dress up in drag and have some sort of three-way. And... I don't know. Should we even get into it? We're at like an no, almost yeah, two hours. Just, There's and so I do much. Ha I do have um, access to the plan. Are we just going to do an Eyes Wide Shut next week, or do we want to try to do another movie next week and come back to this like in a, in a month? What should we do? Yeah, I feel like maybe, I feel like maybe we should not rush it, and I think we should really be more prepared for this episode. And like, like let's make a let's make a shared doc where we have like a structure of the scenes, which I've already started, but I only did the first half because by the middle I got sucked in and I stopped doing the structure on a document. Right. Um, oops. But. Yeah, I think maybe let's like book in the season with it. All right, then because we'll, obviously uh, we're going to be able to talk about it at length at any point. But maybe like, I don't let's, know. Let's watch all the. I, I want to watch all the featurettes, for instance, and that's going to take a while. I'm not going to be able to do that in a week. You know? All right. Well, I'm sorry for the most un incomplete episode that we've ever done. Um, I don't know. If, do we should he, should we even do ratings for it this time or? Should we wait? I guess it feels weird jumping into ratings um, when we haven't talked about the whole film. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to do it. I think it's pretty obvious that we love this film and that it's a star cloud or whatever. But okay. We, yeah, we don't have to. To be continued. To be comp Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut, to be continued. It's um, our, first, our first unfinished episode. Um, what... What movie are we going to be watching this week? Here's the other thing. So, we have two options. Since you picked I Would White Shut, I was either going to do Mobe Song, which is a bit of a stretch for couples arguing, although it does happen. Or, on Criterion Channel, there's a movie called Certified Copy. So, these are two of my all-time favorite directors. Certified Copy is Kiarostami, and Leos Karax did Mobe Song. Both of these fit I, under couples arguing. And they're both very, sort of like Eyes Wide Shut, where it's like very, there's a lot to talk about, at least. I'll, I'll say that. 
These are the two. Uh, I'll. You know what? I'll leave it up to you. Which one do you? Would you rather do? They're probably both about the same length. You know, a little under two hours. I would be fine with doing either one. I think they're both great. What do you? What do you think? Which uh, would I you rather? Sure, if I copy, do? probably okay. just because it's on Criterion and there's a chance I might be able to get the other one for free. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That makes it. Yeah. I think Mommy Song is much more of a time investment. It will take longer than a week. You might have to. Oh. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't know. understand the movie the first time I saw it, so it's it's one of those. But yeah. Okay. Certified copy. That's great. That is a that is a top. That is definitely couples arguing. So that'll be good. Another, which is, I feel like this movie is a couple's arguing, but I really enjoyed it. I really was looking forward to watching it, even though I had problems, like I told you, because I was so busy. Mm -hmm. um, when I was actually watching it, yeah, I'm enjoying it. So, um, yeah. obviously, I mean, last, still love Eyes Wide Shut. Great yeah, movie. Last night, I, I wouldn't say I was totally in the mood to watch it, but yeah, once I got about a half an hour in, just like when I went to a random scene a few minutes ago, and I was like, oh, now, now I got sucked in. You know, it sort of, it lulls you to its its vibe. There's so much, what just happened? You know, and just like mm -hmm. making you like intently looking at it. It is it is a film where, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how, wanting to rewatch scenes immediately after you watch them. Um, yes. That is that is eyes wide shut completely because it is it is hard to keep going when you're just like, what what did I miss? What happened there? You know, and you're just <laughs> right. like, and you want to like understand, um, yeah. And then yeah. at the end of the day, you're just kind of like, I guess I don't I can't really understand, <laughs> you know. And then and then right. you start looking for kind of different things that it's talking about, and um, yeah. And I think um, that's kind of the the joy of it is like like I said, it's it's inexhaustible. Anytime you watch it, any particular scene, even a scene that, you know, the last couple times you watched it, you glossed over, now you're like, wait a second, and you're like, become more curious about it, you know, which is why I think it's like the ultimate mystery, because it always has that, mm. that pull, and that, that lure of like, wait, did you really catch everything, you know? I guess, yeah, I mean, that's true. I think that's like any good novel or any good movie, too, though, which each time you read it, you you catch something you missed before and you have new questions and, yeah. yeah. Just good storytelling, yeah. Um, yes. Where it's that complex, where you're never really quite sure. Um, we're about to finish. I guess to do some type of rating, I thought I might throw this at you. Um, what are your top three Kubrick films. I thought we would end with our own personal ratings of our oh. top three Kubrick films. Um, you know, I... I mean, I mentioned earlier sort of my strange relationship with Kubrick movies, having grown up with a couple of them. But for me, a lot of Kubrick is hit or miss. There, there are movies that I absolutely love and will watch for the rest of my life and then other ones of his that do almost nothing for me uh, and I won't bother mentioning which ones those are but Eyes Wide Shut is number one no matter what 2001 is probably second and it's another one where pretty much any time I get the chance to see it in a movie theater I will take the chance I will do so the third one is tricky. It changes a lot, 
I I think I saw Full Metal Jacket too many times as a kid, and it doesn't affect me the way it used to. Although I haven't seen it in years, because I'm still a little intimidated by it. But if I had to do a top three, it would be Eyes Wide Shut, 2001, The Shining. The Shining is probably my number three, for sure. A lot of early Kubrick doesn't work for me, um, for whatever reason. Anything pre-2001, I feel sort of half and half about a lot of that stuff. So, I, And I understand why people love it, but it's not for me. Yeah, I guess um, I think we we have two out of three in common. Um, you pr- uh, so pretty. I would say most Kubrick films I, I really do like. There's not many I don't. Um, any yeah, there. I guess there are a couple. There's a there, there's one I probably I'm not, not because I don't think it's necessarily a good film, but I can't imagine that I'll want to rewatch it anytime. Um, but the three movies, for me, Dr. Strangelove used to be one of my favorites. Eyes Wide Shut has been, I don't, I, at the same time, I don't love, like, ranking them against each other, though, even yeah. though Eyes Wide Shut is probably my favorite, um, because it is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, but Dr. Strange is the other one, and I, yeah. The Shining's a no for me. So 2001, Dr. Strange and this, um, but yeah. Interesting. Okay. Do you say The Shining is a no for you? I I mean I like it, but it's not it's not in my top three. It's probably not. It's. I mean mean, it's it's not in my it's it's not my top favorite movies. But when you're if you're asking my favorite Kubrick, that's certainly it's the one that I like. Eyes Wide Shut. A lot of people like it. I mean. Yeah, it's it's probably the one that like 2001 or Eyes Wide Shut that I've revisited the most and had that similar experience that we're talking about of uncovering new layers each time I see it. Uh, there's so many interesting visual motifs in The Shining. Like like the fact that there's all this, like, there's a lot of Native American uh, art all over the, the walls is like a, a detail that someone turned me on to years after having seen it many times. Well, it's now the Native it's... American burial ground. I mean, you probably know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, you know, if we ever did an episode about Strangelove, that might be interesting because despite the fact that I love Peter Sellers, something about Strangelove, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to talk about it now because we're already at two hours, but Strangelove has rubbed me the wrong way for many years for different reasons, which we don't need to get into. I understand why people like it, but for whatever reason, it just does, doesn't work for me as a, as a comedy, I guess. Although it's much more than that, obviously, but, but oh, I yeah, get it. I, I think it, yeah, I think it's great. It's one of my favorite. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. And, and what we're talking about, I do like about Kubrick, how he makes you uncomfortable. Like uh, when mm-hmm. the film, like Clockwork Orange is that kind of film for me where I'm just like, you know, I've seen it, but I'm, I'm not interested in rewatching it. It's just not something, it's not an enjoyable huh. experience for me. You know, um, that's actually, I mentioned my uncle who loves Kubrick, who, you know, I grew up with watching 2001. Uh, Clockwork Orange was his favorite. He went and yeah, saw that, it in the theater a bunch of times that, when it that, came out. That's, that's interesting because that's. I don't know. Now I'm worried about it. No, it's, it's probably fine. Uh, I don't no, know. I, I mean, I've seen Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I find, personally, I find Full Metal Jacket way more disturbing than Clockwork Orange or The Shining. 
I think Full Metal Jacket is so deeply creepy, and it really, I mean, that's why kind of why I don't rewatch it is because it it so deeply gets under my skin, way more than Clockwork Orange or The Shining ever could. And Dude. Full Metal Jacket creeps me out. I don't like it. I don't like. I do not. I do not enjoy the process of watching it. It is an uncomfortable film to me. There's such different films, but I would I would argue right. Full Metal Jacket is a very realistic film, where mm-hmm. uh, the other films we're talking about are not. You know, right, yeah. right. And well, I mean, so, I mean, even just look at like Strange Love compared to Eyes Wide Shut yeah. could not be more different. Even in turn, you know, people talk a lot about how Kubrick's style is very uniform, but I mean, look at the variation of of style in, between oh, yeah, Eyes Wide Shut and Doctor Strange Love. That's one of the anyway. other reasons why I like Strangelove is because it is so different than anything right. else he did. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's been another exciting movie victory. Um, Certainly a movie victory when you have to do two episodes about it. Yeah. Well, especially when you talk about like the point of any good storytelling for me is about making you think about real issues and... W- and this film does. It gives you something to mm-hmm. think about, and it um, there's really there's meat to it. I mean, you can keep coming back to it. And I think that any married couple or that has been in a relationship for any length of time, um, I would just recommend coming back to it through different parts of your relationship to kind of see. I don't know if I'll feel different about this like 10 years later, if I'll have a right. different take. It, it is kind of you know telling that, that they get divorced like two years after this film comes right. out. Well, reason. it must have been a very intense thing. I, I don't want to believe that it had anything to do with the film. I, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm sure it was all building up to that. I wonder if Cooper just sort of used right. that to his advantage. There but, are professionals. Yeah. I mean, I know lines get crossed, but it's like, it's what they do for a living. Would it really right. bother Tom? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I can, despite the fact that I'm not married, I have had very serious relationships oh, yeah. in my life. And I, I really think that I, I don't know if I could seriously date or marry anyone who didn't, un, who didn't get in their own way Eyes Wide Shut, something like Before Midnight, the Before Trilogy. And actually, maybe even Certified Copy, which we're going to do next week. I think if, you know, to me, these are films like cup relationship films that the person that I love has to be on the level of, like, understanding the, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, the intricacies of these, these particular movies and what they say about relationships. And this is why you're going to be alone for a long time. Forcing every potential partner to sit down and watch these films and take a test is not no. the best No, I mean, I'm, I'm specifically thinking, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> I'm specifically thinking of the most recent person that I seriously dated who also enjoyed these films prior to even meeting me, right? I'm just saying... I have so a preference. Did she have to take the test, or did she just? It doesn't uh, have to be these three specific films. I'm not talking about sitting someone down and making them watching it and saying, "What do you think?" I'm saying there's a certain level of open-mindedness and open communication, which is present in these films, like Certified Copy, Before Sunrise, Before Trilogy, and Eyes Wide Shut. Because again, one of the beautiful things about the ending of Eyes Wide Shut is, despite the fact that it may seem closed off to each other at the beginning. They have a very open communication at the end, the closing conversation, and it's very direct. 
and, yeah. and very, very, I would argue, very loving and very honest. Um, I, would agree. I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not any particular movie that uh, a love interest of mine would have to favor, but rather understand the things that that movie's trying to say. But they would have to take a test. No. Okay. Because I Don't see be a dick. stacks of tests. Okay. All right. No, um, that's because I'm on the border <laughs> and I'm trying to help these people. We're Pass living in a very, you know, Pass Biden has put more, test. Biden has put more people in, in cages than Trump did in just his first year. Well, that's that? wrong. You should get rid of those cages. Um, all right. This is anyway, I'm going to cut this out, but Biden has, in fact, fast-tracked deportations of refugees in his foreign policy. But anyway, okay. Biden sucks. But yeah, I'm going to cut that out. Don't worry. All right. All right, Eyes Wide Shut is a movie for sure. All right. All right. Movie victory. Bye. I guess I'm still just like, we can't be ununified 